Are you a single mom who worries that you're messing up your kids? Do you feel like life is a constant struggle? Do you have big dreams and know that you were meant for more, but in your day-to-day life, you feel like you just don't have enough time to move forward with what you want? If this is you, I'm so glad you're here. I'm Jordan Rios, author, life coach, blogger, overcomer, and single mom of seven kids. This is the Thriving Single Moms Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Thriving Single Moms Podcast. My name is Jordan Rios and I'm your host and today we are doing an amazing interview with Stephanie Ann and Stephanie is an extraordinary woman and attorney and recipient of the Governor's Award for Advocacy with Survivors of Domestic Violence who triumphed over narcissistic abuse. With two marriages to narcissists behind her, she harnessed the transformative power of the emotional freedom technique, or EFT, to guide others on their path to healing and growth, and personal growth. Please be prepared to be inspired by her journey. Thank you so much, Stephanie. I'm so excited to get to interview you today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on your show today, Jordan. I'm so thrilled about this. This is going to be, this is something that... A lot of single moms, the the topics of that are your expertise are something that so many listeners in my audience ask about that even in other communities that I'm a part of on Facebook, I see lots of questions, lots of single moms needing support in these areas. So I know this is going to be really beneficial to a lot of my listeners. But first, let's just get off with, get, let's just start with some introductions. So can you tell us where you're from, what you do, and tell us a little bit about your family? Yeah, so um, I'm from Oregon. I just moved back recently from Florida, and I have three boys. I have uh, an almost 12-year-old, a nine-year-old, and a little two-year-old that might pop in and or you might hear him in the background that he's here. So this is this is single mom life. I I'm professional, but I also work from home and I have kids and it's Christmas break. And so they're all here. And that uh, is how we roll. That is how we and roll. That Every, is how yeah. we roll, right? That so is it. I, yeah. 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 Keep going. Sorry. So I um, was married twice, both uh-huh. to narcissists. My first husband was a covert narcissist. My second husband was an overt narcissist, more of the malignant self-proclaimed asshole type. Um, my, <laughs> I have children from both of them. So, mm-hmm. you know, this is some, you know, I mean, single moms here. So I have two, my two older boys are from my first husband. My youngest baby is from my second husband. I've also, my background is in law. I am an attorney and I worked for a very long time with victims and survivors of domestic violence. And in fact, I won the governor's award for my work with, with victims. And the, the crazy um, thing is, is that I did not know I was a victim of domestic violence. 
And that's so, yes. So if you look at domestic violence back, you know, 20 plus years ago, we were focused on physical violence. We weren't really focused on emotional and psychological violence. And because, uh, you know, a lot of us, if we are in narcissistic relationships, they're not always violent. And so for me, it, it took a long time for me to realize that I was into abusive marriages. Oh, wow. So that that is so powerful for everyone to hear that. And you're right. You're absolutely right. I think that the narrative still has a lot of shifting left to do from, oh, this he hasn't hit me. You know, mm -hmm. so I'm not being abused. That 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 is just one form of abuse that falls under the umbrella of domestic violence. And I'm thankful that now things are starting to change in our mainstream understanding, but we still have a lot of work left to do. We do, and, and this is why I share my story because we we need to change the dialogue. We need to normalize having conversations because for a long time there was a lot of shame and guilt why'd you stay why'd you put up with this why'd you you know all this stuff that keeps us from sharing our story and in fact once I started sharing my story so many of my acquaintances and people in my familiar circle started coming forward Stephanie oh my gosh you just described my husband you just described my father you just described my mother but we aren't talking about it and we need to normalize having conversations so that we can say you, you don't have to feel ashamed to share your story. Let's talk about it so we can end it. Why do you think that we don't talk about it? Because of the shame and guilt that is surrounded by it. Um, you know, for me, it was, you don't get a divorce. I, I grew up in a very religious family. You know, my mom's, my mom's an ordained minister. Yeah. You know, my, my parents are still married. You don't get a divorce. You work on your marriage. You, you try to do all this stuff. And so here I am, even a professional with a background in domestic violence as a professional and still feeling like, okay, I have to work. I have to stay married. I have to keep working on my, on my marriage because this beliefs you don't want to disappoint you don't want to upset and so you you internalize everything thinking okay well maybe it's me and after having been with a narcissist for so long they also tell you it's you so if we if we start a little bit from from the beginning just in case you're you know so your your listeners know yeah you remember latin and greek from from middle school Narcissist was uh, this man who fell in love with the image of himself. He 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 never left the the reflection that was coming from the pool. He just gazed into it. And so, if we look at what a, a narcissist is, a disordered personality, it is someone who has a, a grandiose sense of of self importance. They have this preoccupation with fantasies and unlimited power of wealth and beauty and and unlimited success. They have this excessive need for admiration and adoration. They um, have this deep sense of entitlement. But the myth here is that you would think that, oh, they would have such a, a strong, confident ego. 
really, they have a very poor self-image, a very low self-esteem. They hate themselves. They have, you know, however their their personality became disordered, whether it's through trauma or, you know, whatever. I'm not, not a psychiatrist or psychologist. Sure, I sure. don't go into, you know, the the psychology and the and the physiology of all of that. But um, you know, so you have this very disordered personality now who who needs to feed, who needs a fuel and supply. They need someone to grovel over them. They need someone to adore them. They need all of that because it feeds into their disordered personality of who they are. And so this is this is a narcissist. And so when you get together with a narcissist, you don't know. It's not like people with disordered personalities are walking around saying, hey, I'm a narcissist or hey, I'm histrionic or hey, I'm a psychopath. Right. You know, so we don't know. And so for myself, I did not know I was in these relationships. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you look at the just similar with domestic violence, there's a cycle of, of abuse within disordered personalities. There in, in narcissism, there is a cycle of narcissistic. There's a cycle of narcissistic abuse. And so the first, the first stage is the idealization phase. The second is the devaluation. And the third is the discard. So I'll I'll walk you through my relationships Absolutely. through those those phases. So Yes. You know, listeners, you can see if you find yourself in one of these stages with a disordered personality like narcissist, narcissism, then you know what is going on. So, um, so with my first husband, during the, with my first and second husband during the idolization phase, He's usually not like this. No, you're fine. So during the idolization phase, when you first meet someone, they put you on a pedestal. They basically worship you. And who doesn't want to be made feel good? I mean, it's the beginning of a relationship, right? We all want to, to have that feeling, but it's excessive. So they want to talk to you all the time. They're constantly texting, calling. You become like the only thing to them. Your relationship progresses very quickly. Um, my second husband, I always said, well, I manifested him, which I did. You know, how many of us do we make that list? We check it off. You know, he, he fit everything. Uh, tall, dark, handsome, you know, single, single divorced dad with only boys because I only had boys businessman my first husband was the doctor I'm like oh, not medical they're all they're all narcissists and cheaters you know and so I put this list out into the universe and a week later I met a man who checked everything off the list and so when he would say things like I manifested you you are my soulmate we are meant to be together this is divine it all resonated Right. But these are words that narcissists will use. They, you become everything to them. You become their soulmate. You, they put you on the stool. You can do no wrong. They make you feel very comfortable around them. 
you open up to them, you share with them your insecurities, you share with them your vulnerabilities. They make it easy for you to fall in love with them. Mm -hmm. And so like he knew my second husband, he knew that my first husband spent, you know, 14 years cheating on me. And mm -hmm. he said, Oh, my wife, my ex-wife cheated on me too. So, you know, we have, we have this bond yeah. later on, you realize, or later on, I realized he was just mirroring me. There was no truth in anything he said. And so this is what they do. They get you hooked. That's the idolization phase. Mm -hmm. And then when you move into the devaluation phase, this is where they start manipulating. This is where they start gaslighting. This is where the mask comes off a little bit and, you, and it leaves you confused. You're like, wait a second. You love that I am a lawyer. You love that I'm a strong, powerful woman. You love that I'm a good mom. You love my girlfriend, strong, powerful women. You love all of this. Well, he loved all that in the idolization phase, in the devaluation phase. He hated that I was a, uh, a lawyer. He hates lawyers. Lawyers are horrible people. They just use people. They're just money hungry. They're ambulance chasers. You know, everything. All my girlfriends are horrible women. They are, you know, every negative word you can think of. Everything he loved about me, he criticized, he critiqued, he manipulated. Uh -huh. So do you see the, the difference between yeah. the stages? And so then it, they leave you really confused. It's called cognitive dissonance, all this confusion that they create. Because it's like, how could you just say all that? one week that you loved me and that you cared for me and all this stuff. And now this week you're treating me like I'm garbage, like I'm nobody. And then they will let you stew and marinate in that. And then they will love bomb you back. So you get caught in the cycle of devaluation, love bombing, devaluation, love bombing. And what that does is it forms an attachment bond because it's all this intermittent reinforcement. You know it's gonna, it's great. And in your head, you're just waiting like, oh, it's gonna be bad anytime soon. And then it gets bad. And when it's bad, when they're mean, when they're manipulating, when they're criticizing you, you know in your head that, well, it's gonna be good again. So it keeps you stuck on this wheel of intermittent reinforcement. So. What I said earlier was it forms an, an attach a a trauma bond, mm -hmm. and a trauma bond is when you you have this you have the the intermittent reinforcements, and so I like to explain a trauma bond like a like a drug addict. Mm -hmm. So the first time you use a drug, you reach this really high dopamine high. They have all this serotonin ox, whatever, you know, all, all the dopamine, you're this high. The next time you use, you never quite reach that same dopamine high. So then you use again and you use again, trying to catch that first high. It keeps you addicted in this cycle because you know 
well, wait, I had that first high. So maybe I need to switch the drug. Maybe I need a higher dose. Maybe I need all these things. Try to catch that, that big dopamine rush. Similarly, in a trauma bond, we become addicted. We become attached. And we, and we think that they know how to love us. They know how to treat us well. Because they did all of this in the beginning of the relationship. So that keeps us stuck for when the times are bad. We're like, wait a second. They know how to love us, though. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. So it, it keeps you stuck in this trauma bond. Because so many people say, well, why don't you leave? Well, why don't, why don't you just get away from him and go live a, a, a happy life somewhere else? It's the trauma bond. You're bonded and you really have to like break that trauma bond. But those of us who find ourselves in these relationships, because I, I say find ourselves, it's not like we're consciously seeking right. them out, but um, we, you become attached and addicted and it's very hard to break that and to get away from it. Yes. Because of what it does to your mind and your body and everything you become when I, I mean, I look back at my 10 year marriage and I became a shell of who I was before, but I, my, my entire brain chemistry had changed. And that it was does. something because of that dynamic. And it was something that I, you know, I've read a statistic. You as an attorney are probably much more familiar with this than I am that the average woman who is trying to leave an, an abusive or narcissistic relationship. It takes seven times of trying to leave before you actually yeah. leave. Is that something yeah. you've commonly seen in your legal practice? Yeah. And so, and, and even with myself, because mm -hmm. it is the trauma bond that keeps us stuck because again, it's like, okay, it's really bad right now, but we know that they know how to be good. Mm -hmm. We know that they know how to treat us right. And so then we start internalizing everything and focusing on us. Well, how can I love him better? Well, maybe yeah. if I do this, well, maybe I need to lose weight. So I'll go, I'll go starve myself for a while mm -hmm. to lose weight. Maybe, uh, maybe we need to go to counseling. So let's sign up for therapy. Let's go do this. And so you see, they shift everything so that it's you, you are the one with the mental anguish. You are the one constantly trying to fix everything and figure everything out Yeah, and, and change yourself to become what they need. But the, the, the problem is, is that they have no idea what they need. Right. They don't know. They just want your attention. They just want to be worshiped and, and admired by you. Yes. And so when uh, at some point you have to decide that you are worthy of so much more, you either get fed up and you leave or they discard you. And that's the final, the final piece in the cycle. Um, and so, and that's really hard. Like my, my first ex, my second ex-husband, Chase, when uh, it was 2020 and we had just gotten married, we got married in December of 2019 mm -hmm. and he was great. He was great for all of that. And then the world shut down. And so there was a lot of confusion already. And I couldn't tell what was his true behavior and what was 2020. 
And so, you know, you get, you get stuck in all of this Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde cognitive uh -huh. dissonance, because you have no idea what's going on. And I've talked to so many people, men, both men and women. It really is a, a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. They have multiple personalities. It's a disorder of personality. And so we yeah. never know which one is going to present themselves. And this is why you hear so many people say, well, I will, I'm walking on eggshells. We're walking on eggshells because we don't know which personality is going to present himself. Is it going mm -hmm. to be the kind, wonderful, loving person that we fell in love with? Or is it going to be the asshole, the jerk, mm -hmm. the mean guy, the one who constantly criticizes and is negative and is, is uh, violent? Yes. And, and you know, it, it all stems under the umbrella of power and control. Um, because if they can manipulate your emotions, if they can manipulate the way you respond or react, then that feeds them. And so they will do things, and this is during the devaluation, to get an emotional reaction from them, to get a reaction. Because it means that they have control over your emotions. They have control over you. That's mm -hmm. a whole power and control dynamic. Um, and so, you know, when, when you hit the discard, you either have had enough or they, or the mask comes off and they know that they can no longer manipulate you. They can no longer manipulate your emotions and then they discard you. Yeah. It is, it is painful either way because of that trauma bond. Mm -hmm. Um, and then they will go on and a week later you'll hear well, they're already engaged to someone else. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I mean, how many of us have heard that story? Oh, they're already dating. Exactly. They're already, you know, because the narcissist, the sort of personalities, they always have backup supply. There's mm -hmm. always people in on the sidelines on deck, you know, waiting to come in because they, they have that constant need. And yeah. if they didn't have it, they would be forced to sit and examine themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Um, something you said that in the beginning that I wanted to go back to that I was just thinking as you were um, sharing that is a lot myself and a lot of my listeners included. And you, you had mentioned just another factor in women's decisions to stay in abusive narcissistic relationships, marriages is because of, you know, we grew up in maybe high control religious communities where we're, you know, you were, what brought this to my mind was when you were specifically saying everything falls on the shoulders of the woman who is being abused mm -hmm. and, you know, it's her job to fix everything. It's her job to do this. And that just reminded me of my own experience just in a religious community that I was a part of throughout my marriage, actually throughout my entire life. It's like women don't, you, you know, you just don't get divorced. You stay, you work yeah. it out, you know, but, mm -hmm. and then, and then when you do go to counseling, when you do seek help for the problems that are there, when you're with a narcissist, it's like, well, what are you doing? What are, why aren't mm -hmm. you praying more? Why aren't you meeting his needs? And so it's fueling the entire complex of the narcissist. It's fueling, the entire power differential it's 
it's compounding your own sense of autonomy, your own sense of, I know what's right for me. I know something doesn't sit well with me. And it's, it's just, it's minimizing that your own sense of self and, and your own, what you know is true. And I think that that also plays a part in why women stay longer than they should, why they have, why they doubt themselves why they continually, even if they do leave a narcissistic relationship, they, without walking away from that and getting completely changing that thinking that we are conditioned into by our community, by society, you know, unless we actively do the work inside of ourselves to walk away from that, we're going to continue to attract the same type of person. Would you agree with that? Yes, absolutely. I absolutely agree with that. And, you know, for, for the longest time, I was stuck in that like victim mindset. I didn't do anything wrong. I don't deserve this. Why me? Why are all these bad things happening to me? Why have I married a second narcissist? Right. You know, and it's like, until we learn the lessons, if you think about why we're here, are we, we're here to learn the lessons and to grow, right? Mm -hmm. I, yeah. I mean, that's part of it. One part of right, it. Right. And, and, and until we learn those lessons, we're going to continue to repeat the same patterns until those patterns are broke. And so when, uh, like myself, I thought I was healed when, when my second husband, my first husband, Josh, he, we were married for 14 years. He was mm-hmm. a cheater and, uh, and this is why I, I didn't think I was in an abusive relationship because how many of us ladies, we put cheating over here and we put abuse over here. Right. Right. He's just a cheater. He's a cheater. I did that for a long time. And that's why I didn't know I was in an abusive relationship because, you know, we just call them cheaters. Mm-hmm. No, it's abuse. It's psychological and it's emotional abuse. How many times did you ask him to stop? how many times, you know, whatever, all those things. And so um, when he left, he left for another married woman in the church. (laughs) Right. And, uh, but I thought I was healed. I thought I had done more. But when I was still stuck in a victim mindset, I couldn't really see the lesson. Mm -hmm. And until you really see the lessons, you don't really know exactly what needs to be healed, what needs to be released and let go. Yeah. And so, you know, the universe, God, source in all its infinite wisdom gave me exactly what I wanted. I manifested the person I wanted, but I also got all the unlearned lessons. Yep. That's exactly right. And that's actually something I had another guest on here speaking in depth about the victim mindset and, you know, just how, you know, it's like something that it keeps us stuck and it's like a, a reel that just keeps playing over and over again in our head. And what we're focusing on expands. If we're focusing mm-hmm. on, oh, I didn't do anything wrong, you know, we're fueling, we're going to get more of what we've already gotten in life. And yes. yeah. Exactly. What we, what we think about, we bring into reality. That is and exactly so right. We, yep. So if we are focused on 
all the bad, all the negative, all the toxic traits. If we are focused on, uh, he's going to, he's going to be mean to me. He's going to do this. My life sucks. I'm miserable. I'm unhappy. Guess what? You are, you've just created that. Yes. Because absolutely. we create our reality. Absolutely. 100%. And, and until we, we understand that and we understand how to heal our mind, we will continue to attract mm -hmm. toxic people into our life. Yes. And we don't, you know, yeah. a lot of people don't realize that. I mean, they just keep living on autopilot, but from the wrong place. They, you know, and yeah. this, can, this can be any area of your life and this can be any person, not just generally, not just specifically someone stuck in an abusive marriage. This is just how our reality is created from inside of us that all of our reality is in, is a manifestation of what we're putting out there into the universe. And, yeah. you know, that's, you know, that's something that um, I've actually um, talked about a little bit on the podcast, but I, I'd love to go more in depth with it later on. And I want to ask you though, since we were just talking about, you know, what we can do to change these things in ourselves, where we start by realizing, you know, we're not in a victim mentality, identifying those thoughts that are keeping us stuck in a victim mentality and then doing what it takes to change ourselves from the inside so that we can get what we want in life. You had said in your bio that you are an a practitioner for EFT, which is the emotional freedom technique. I'm familiar with this, but most of our listeners probably are not. Can you describe to us what EFT is and how it can help women heal from the trauma of being in an abusive marriage? Yeah, absolutely. So EFT is called emotional freedom techniques. It is a healing modality that takes some Eastern and Western practices and combines them together. And what you do is you tap on the meridian points of the body, which is kind of like acupuncture points. And so what EFT does, it teaches you to sit with these big, heavy emotions that are coming up, to be aware of your emotions, to know where the trauma and emotions are stuck in your body because our body holds on to the trauma and then releasing it. And then I take it a step further and I say, let's tap into the person we want to become now. So mm -hmm. for instance, let's say um, you have a lot of anxiety right now. So we would do the setup statements where, you know, you, you are following the practitioner. So even though um, I am safe, my body is still holding on to this anxiety and I need to I recognize it and I'm choosing to let you go, you know, what, whatever. So then we're tapping on, on it. So, you know, all this anxiety, all this anxiety, I'm feeling it in my chest. My chest feels very heavy. Um, I'm still feeling scared. I'm still feeling, you know, anxious when I think of my ex, I'm still feeling all these things. So we really just sit and acknowledge and feel as we are going through and tapping on these meridian points of the body. Then we do some other rounds of releasing all this anxiety, 
You were good when I needed you because you were there to warn me that something is not right in my body. But Mm -hmm. I'm choosing to let you go because I am safe and I no longer need you in my body. Choosing to let you go. So, you know, we start letting it go and letting it go. And then I take it a step further. Most people don't do the third step. But I say now that we've let go of the negative, let's put in some positive. How do you want to feel? Well, I want to feel brave. So I'm strong. I am courageous. I am brave. I can do hard things. I can get through tough situations. I am um, a loving mother. I am beautiful. I am, you know, whatever. And I always tell people, even if you don't believe it, let's just say you're becoming I'm becoming brave. I'm becoming healed. I'm becoming whole. You know, so really yeah. tapping into what you're doing. And so what what it does is through the repetition. So you can't just go and do like one session of EFT. You you really need to do many sessions to really mm-hmm. get the full the full experience of it. And so what we are doing is we are taking we're we're rewiring. We're changing our mindset or rewiring your brain because after all this trauma when you've been with the narcissist you have all this trauma like you were saying like you felt like an empty shell of a person Mm -hmm. so we need to get all of that trauma out of your body and then we need to to wire your mind for the good for the positive Um, and it's through repetition that we can recreate the new memories and put it down into our subconscious mind. And so that's one of the things that I like about tapping because we're tapping, we're speaking, it's repetition, we're putting it in because we need to put this into the subconscious mind that, oh, I am brave. Oh, I am strong. Oh, I am becoming, you know, whatever it is you want to become. And then, you know, releasing the trauma from your body. We, we have to release the trauma, otherwise it will stay in our body forever. And we don't need anxiety when we're safe because that's anxiety is just uh, our body's response to feeling unsafe. Mm -hmm. And so EFT is very, very powerful. And I actually fell into it unintentionally. I mean, intentionally, but not to become a practitioner. So it was 2020. The world was chaotic. I separated from my husband and I was just like, I need something. And one of my friends posted on Facebook about EFT. And I was like, yes, I need that. And I signed up for it. But I didn't realize, I thought I was signing up to work with a practitioner. I actually signed up to become a practitioner. I had never done EFT before. (laughs) And, you know, it's it's funny because I I was like, oh, I did pay a lot for that course. (laughs) But it's what what I needed. And, you know, the divine, I give us what we it. Yeah. I, I totally did because I was like, I was desperate for something. I knew I needed to be healed. I knew I needed a tool. Mm-hmm. And EFT is one of, of many healing modalities and tools that you can learn and keep in your, your toolbox. Mm-hmm. And so it was so perfect for me because I had 14 years of one marriage that I never fully, I thought I was, healed, but I, I wasn't fully healed which is why I attracted another one. And so I had all of this, this healing I needed to do. 
And I just spent hours and hours and hours and days and turned into months and, and years now of doing EFT to where I have rewired my brain. I have rewired my thoughts. I think differently. Um, and so it's, it's possible for you too, you know, any of the listeners out there, if you are feeling overwhelmed, stuck, anxious, like you have all the trauma in the body, maybe you've left, or maybe you're still trying to build up the courage to leave, learn some of these healing modalities and start working on yourself. Because when you become more healed, when you become more, when you know how worthy you are, and I like to say worthy as opposed to deserved. So many people say, well, you deserve this, you deserve that, you deserve to be happy, you deserve a healthy relationship and all this stuff. Well, no, deserving means we had to do something to get something. Worthy is just because of me being me. That's so name. powerful. I love that. And so I don't even say deserving anymore. I've cut it out of my vocabulary. I'm like, no, I'm worthy because it's, of me. I don't have to do anything. I just yeah. get it. I just am. That and is so, yeah. huge. I love it. Yeah. Okay. So um, the EFT is a, a powerful tool to help rewire the brain. Um, meditation. I do a lot of meditation now. Uh, mindfulness, you know, sitting still, thinking and, and creating. Um, uh, another powerful thing you can do too is I, I call it a brain dump. Get all the neg the toxicity out. You know, if you are in a toxic relationship with a narcissist, sit down and do some writing and do a brain dump. Get all the negative out. Write it, burn it, let it go, and start tapping into the positive, into the positive life you want. Because, like you said. We are creators of our of our reality. If you are tired of being in that marriage, in that relationship, one, they're not going to change. Mm -hmm. No, so you can't love them more. You can't pray for them more. You can't wish for them more. The only thing you can do is work on you because that is what you have control over. Work on you. And when you feel worthy enough, you will leave. That is so powerful. I love that. I just love the last thing you said. When you feel worthy enough, you will leave. You have just given so many listeners who are still in those marriages a starting point. And I think that is yes. just so powerful. And, and and a starting point and an end goal. You know, mm -hmm. because it's a journey. You know, once you leave, like you said, you've still got a lot of work to do. That's like your springboard into yes your new life and it's something to yes. be so proud of there is there should not be any stigma or negativity associated with leaving a marriage when you know it's the right thing for you to do it's not something we just envision ourselves we're getting married so we can just get divorced one day you know this yeah. is something that we have to do for ourselves for our kids and for that narcissist for everyone and i think yeah. that we need to shift the narrative about how we talk about leaving about how we talk yes. about single mom. And like you said, their innate worth, not just them deserving for what they did, but just because of who they are, who we are as single yes. mom, as people, as individuals. Um, so I want to shift the conversation just a little bit 
at, to your background as an attorney, what, so a woman, you know, divorce is not only painful psychologically, but it's also painful in like in the ways that you've been with a narcissist for years and you've got to undo all of that neural programming from being in that relationship and healing but the act of going to court for a divorce yes. is excruciating, especially when you have custody battles involved. And, you know, yes. So could you talk about what advice you, you as an attorney as an advocate for domestic violence victims could give to women who are preparing for that new stage in their lives? Yes. And, and I will tell you, it is, it is hard. It, mm-hmm. It is very hard, but, you know, going back to the mindset, which I, I love that you are all about mindset, Jordan, because it mm-hmm. really makes a difference. Yeah. So the first thing I would do is write out the end game. What are your goals? What do you want to get out of the divorce? Do you want full custody? Which I say, go for you want full custody because you do not want the narcissist to have any control over your children. Mm-hmm. So you you need to you need to know what your goal is and what you want. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, you want to hire the best attorney that you can find. You don't have the money. You need to get all your friends and family together to pool it together for you. Mm-hmm. Um, because when you have a narcissist, a narcissist does not like to lose. Remember, they have this grandiose sense of self-importance and self They will do whatever they can, even if they don't want the children. They'll do everything they can to make, yeah, to make your life miserable. Mm-hmm. So you need to find an attorney who understands narcissistic abuse and understands domestic violence. There are attorneys out there. You just need to do your research, ask around, call to the state board um, of the, you know, the lawyer board. There's there's numbers. If you cannot afford attorneys and if you meet certain um, financial limits, there are usually um, programs out there that will help you. If you live in a community where there is a law school, there usually is a domestic violence um program, which Mm -hmm. means that there are uh, uh, like supervising attorneys and law students who can come and help you with your case. So really look around there. there, It's out there. There's help. And and you should never represent yourself. Even if the narcissist says, let's just do it. It'll be really simple. We can do it. I had my own attorneys. (laughs) And so, um, no, get an attorney who knows. So one, know what you want and your end result. Two, find an attorney who understands the, the nuances of domestic violence and narcissistic abuse. Three, you need to prepare yourself mentally. This is where you focus on your end game. Don't go down the toxic thought like, oh, I'm going to lose. Oh, he's going to take my kids. Because remember, we are the creators of our reality. And if you start saying you're going to lose, he's going to take your kids. You're going to do all this stuff. You might just manifest that into your life. You want to think of winning. Yes. And so, you know, I, I I write down my goals like every day. You want to think about 
the winning. So I, I don't need to be afraid of him. He is just a person. I will have full custody and then put it that deep into your subconscious mind and really believe it. Now, when you go to court, you can't react. And I will tell you the hardest thing to do is not react when someone is making up a bunch of lies about you. Uh-huh. You cannot say anything. You need to be as professional as you can be. No emotion, no crying, no pointing. I mean, I've seen, I've seen it. It has happened to me even. And uh, because a narcissist will get up on the stand, they will lie. They will say everything negative about you. They will gather all their little flying monkeys. They'll post on Facebook. They'll post on all social media. They'll say all this negative stuff about you. You cannot go there because again, it's power and control. And they're trying to provoke and get a reaction from you. As soon as you start texting them, as soon as you start emailing them, as soon as you start reacting on social media, as soon as you start reacting in the courtroom, you have lost and they have won. Yeah. So you cannot do any of that. You have to be the most calm, composed person ever. Um, If your kids, if you have children, and thank you, if you have children, and they're old enough, I would get them a, if if you don't have like a, a nice cell phone, you can go to Walmart and you can get these $50 cell phones. Uh-huh. Get Life360, put it on your phone because it's a tracking app. One of the things with my ex is that he would take the kids out of state and he would take them places and he wouldn't tell me where they were. So I got one of those cheap phones, threw it in their backpack and it tracked them. So I knew exactly where my children were. And then I could screenshot it and keep a file. You want to save every piece of documentation, every communication. Um, Get a banker's box, get a filing cabinet, and start collecting your your stuff. Um, There's a bunch of great apps where you can export text messages and put them onto PDFs. Um, Every text message, every email, Every um, phone call, I would screenshot the phone call, the length of the phone call. You just want, you want to cover all your business. Are you going to need all this in court? I don't. But you want to make sure that you have, you are living above reproach with integrity and you are doing, you know, uh, building your case against him. Basically, this is what you're doing. You're building a case. Um, And then another thing I would suggest is hire a custody evaluator. So many people are so afraid of the custody evaluator. A custody evaluator is a therapist. Get one who understands uh, narcissistic abuse. Do your research. You, You know, usually there's like five to 10 custody evaluators do your research on who they are and their therapy practices. Find one who understands the nuances of domestic violence. Find one who understands um, narcissistic abuse. And then hire a custody evaluator. They can run anywhere from two to $6,000. But family law judges, they don't like to get involved in all of this stuff. But you know, deciding like who gets the kids and and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So um, if you have a custody evaluator come, they will, they will read all your papers. They will go through your whole file, your whole banker's box full of everything about 
your spouse, your ex. Um, they will talk to teachers. They will talk to friends. They will read notes. Um, they will look through all your stuff and, and they will watch you and see how you interact with your kids. They will go over there. They will watch him. They'll read through his stuff. And then they'll come up with a determination and they will write a report and submit it to the judge. 99.9% .9 of the time, a judge is going to default to whatever the custody evaluator says. Oh, wow. This, this is why I like them. Because a judge is not going to look at all your text messages. The judge is not going to talk to your friends and family. I mean, they, they can. It can all come up in trial and stuff. If, uh -oh. if it can. But the custody evaluator will look at all the little details. They'll read all the papers. They will talk to teachers. They will talk to everyone to find out the best placement for the children. Yeah. It is worth the money. Um, so that would be, we're breaking ornaments over here. Gotcha. We just decorated <laughs> our Christmas tree this morning and I thought all the the breakables were high enough, but my hey, two-year-old is that's very all tall. If that's He's all very tall. breaking, then you're doing great. <laughs> and he's giving me all the little, all the little broken Gosh, pieces. hey, cleaning up. That's, not, that's awesome. <laughs> he's, Good he's job. A he's a helper. He's a helper. So, yeah, those, those are some of the big ones. Really document everything. Really keep track of everything. Do not react. Do what it takes to show the judge that you are doing what it takes. If you struggle with unhealthy coping mechanisms, meaning are you, how much are you drinking? How much are you smoking? I live in Oregon, Weasley, but still, how much are, how much are you smoking? Are you going out and partying and leaving your kids? I know it's hard being a single mom. <laughs> you know, we might want to go do some fun things, but, but you really need to look at these because you need to give the narcissist will use anything they can against you. They will manipulate any facts and any circumstance to where you did something wrong. So really during this time, you really have to be above reproach. Don't go out, yeah. stay home. Um, if, if drinking is a problem for you, check, go sign up for why. Hey, Jackson. I have a, no, you're fine. Have a baby over here sitting on the floor just no, smashing Christmas ornaments. Jackson, come here, please. Baron is this over here smashing ornaments. Can you? Yeah. Can you please help? Uh, check yourself into into AA. Sign up for a parenting class. Sign up for for therapy. Get yourself in therapy. Get your children in therapy because the judge is going to look at all these things. Well, what have you done? Because a narcissist is going to go out there, you know, when my, my first ex-husband uh, tried to convince the judge that I was an alcoholic in the pocket. One, I, I barely dreamed of Not. <laughs> but the... It's over on the chair over there. But um, they will use anything. You smoke pot one time. They will say on the stand, we well, are a pothead. All you do is smoke pot. All you do is smoke weed. You don't take care of the kids. You're just, you know, all this stuff. If it is truly an issue for you, 
sign up for, for some sort of therapy, sign up for some sort of rehab. Why? Because judges want to know that you are bettering yourself, that you are taking care of yourself. Let there be no doubt in the judge's mind that you are doing everything you can. Because I will tell you what, the narcissist isn't going to sign up for AA. The narcissist isn't going to sign up for a parenting class. The narcissist is not going to take their children to therapy. You do what you can do and you make yourself the better person, the better person. Yes, that is all so valuable, especially I've never heard of a custody evaluator. So I think that is some, and I'm sure a lot of people haven't. So, and you know, all, everything you just said is just so valuable for these women who are going through this. Um, I have one final question. What is one book, it's something I ask every podcast guest, what is one book recommendation you can give to our listeners and one affirmation? Okay, so a book recommendation would be if um, read any of the books by Lundy Bancroft. Lundy Bancroft um, has spent over 30 years working with angry, abusive men. And he will, in his books, will give you an in-depth look at the mind of an abuser. Why is this helpful? It's helpful because... He will, he will tell you, based on all his 30 years, one, they do not change. Two, they do not want to change. Three, they are aware of everything they are doing. They are not psycho. Mm. They know exactly what they are doing to you. Oh, wow. So anything by Lundy Bancroft, uh, he's written, uh, why do they do that? angry and controlling men. Uh, it is just, it, it will just answer a lot of questions for you. And is- um, yeah, and then a, a positive affirmation is you really do, you are worthy. You are worthy and you, and there's so much more freedom on the other side. Yes, it is scary. Yes, it is hard, but you know what? You can do hard things and you will get through this. That was a mantra I had to tell myself for many, many months when I was going through everything. Stephanie, you can do hard things. You will get through this. And I did. Mm, That's so good. Wow. So Stephanie, where can people follow you online? So right now, um, I don't have a website yet. I've had to push all of that back. So it's not done. But I am on Facebook and I'm on LinkedIn. And Jordan, I can give you the links to those. And then my email email is stephanieannspeaks at gmail.com. So anyone can email me there as well if you don't have uh, Facebook or, or LinkedIn. And I will include all those links in the show notes so that way people can easily access it. And I just want to thank you so much. This has been a wealth of just gold nuggets and wisdom and empathy and everything that we were hoping to find today. And thank you so much again for taking the time out of your day with your kids being at home on Christmas break to just share with us from your experience and from your expertise. And I hope to talk talk with you again.
Yes, thank you so much for having me, Jordan. I really appreciate it. And yeah, have awesome. a wonderful day yourself. You too. Thanks for listening. If this episode has been impactful and meaningful to you, would you please leave me an honest review on whatever platform you're listening on? These reviews help me to reach even more single moms, and I take the time to read every single one. Thank you, and as always, choose your destiny and live it.